0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Morning, we are continuing our study in the book of Mark and the life of Jesus. And as we continue through this chapter, we get an awesome reminder that God uses, and I think that there could be a a decent argument made that maybe even God prefers ordinary people. And can I just say that I frequently feel completely unqualified for the things that come up in my day-to-day life. (laughs) Are there any of you that, that feel that way, that like who decided that i was qualified to do any of the things that i'm doing right now <laughs> exactly <laughs> but we sometimes it's hard to remember those things sometimes it's hard to remember that that we are qualified to to do the things that, that we find ourselves in the midst of. Kaylee and I regularly ask, who decided that we were qualified to be parents, right? <laughs> Sometimes those types of, of conversations come up. And when we first started this study about the life of Christ, you would have been forgiven for thinking that we were going to learn about Jesus that day, right? And, and instead, what we learned about was uh, John the Baptist who is out in the wilderness preparing a way for the Messiah, declaring that the kingdom of heaven was coming, right? And so while John is out in the wilderness and the people are out being baptized by him, Jesus comes and is baptized just like all of the other people, kicking off this three-year ministry on earth. And you would have been forgiven for assuming that a life-altering universe altering, all of creation altering ministry would have been kicked off with maybe a little bit more fanfare and celebration. You would have, you would have thought that, that maybe there was like some parade that needed to happen or maybe like all of the royalty in the, the area needed to show up. Instead, Jesus assembles a, a crack team of, of 12 random nobodies. 12 ordinary people that you and I would never pick for the task. And yet they accomplished exactly what Jesus knew they would. Because here we are on a Sunday morning, some 2000 years later, still talking about what happened in those three years. So what does this tell us? What, what do we, we learn from this as we look at this next uh, passage of Scripture? Regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ, regardless of your history, your experience, your family, regardless of all of it, God is ready to use you exactly where you are. God is ready to use your passions. God is ready to use your abilities. Even if you think you aren't qualified, you are thanks to the blood of Jesus. Jesus called ordinary people to follow him into extraordinary work. As disciples of Jesus, we must also be ready to follow him into the extraordinary. Redefining our 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 own lives. If we we look at what Jesus called his disciples, that they would become fishers of men, right? That their their ordinary profession was about to become the extraordinary. And so, as we move into this time this morning, look at yourself and say, okay, what is what is it that that is ordinary about me? What are the things that are about me? I, I'm a, a director at an IT company. So I'm a technician for men? <laughs> yeah, what does that look like in my life? And you have to come to that between you and God. So Jesus called ordinary people to follow him into extraordinary work. And so first, we have the, this message that is being brought to the people, right? So we have Mark uh, 1, 14 through 15. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, that the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is fulfilled. Jesus came exactly when he was supposed to come. Sometimes it's interesting if you look at history you you go back and you look at ancient history and you look at at even our maybe more recent history in the united states and you say man i wonder why jesus chose to come then why did jesus come at that time why why didn't jesus come today why didn't jesus come like a hundred years ago what what was it about that specific time and you know we we've, we've talked before that there there's a lot of specific things that happened in that moment as far as the nations that were in power as far as Rome being in control of a large portion of the uh world there is a single language that was uh, in most of three continents that was being spoken there were roads that were allowing the the travel of people and so the travel of of messages and the gospel Jesus wasn't early. He wasn't late. He came exactly when he was supposed to. It was never an accident. And I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity to to watch that documentary called The Star of Bethlehem. Um, Or maybe it's, I don't know if it's called that. Maybe it's it's just called The Star or The Christmas Star. It's a documentary about a star. (laughs) And, And what is amazing about it is, you know, we, Every Christmas, every Christmas season we, we learn about the wise men followed the star. Right? There was a, a star over over Bethlehem, and it was used to follow and they they followed it to, to find the the baby Messiah. Could God have just put a star in the sky for that moment in that time? Yeah, he could have. He could have just placed a light over where he wanted them to go and they could have gone. But how much more amazing is it when we start to look at, and and I'm going to spoil it a little bit, is when you look at, when we see this documentary, thanks to science that we have now, we're able to kind of reverse what the night sky looks like and all of the different planets and, and things come together and stack on top of each other to form the Christmas star that shows over Bethlehem. And when that happens... God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect for us as people. God's timing includes all of creation. All of creation was orchestrated to make an announcement of the coming of the sun, just in that moment. Never an accident. In Galatians 4.4, 4 it says, but when the set time had come, or another translation says, in the fullness of time. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the message that Jesus is bringing. That's the, the good news. The kingdom of God is God's rule over God's people and God's place. Again, it's the wrong series, Matt. We just, that was the tagline in Nehemiah. But, but it's the tagline here as well, that it's God's people experiencing God's presence in God's place. The Jewish people are all excited that a king is coming back to overthrow the people that have been oppressing them. The, the Jewish people are expecting that there is going to be an overthrowing of the Roman Empire, that they are going to rise up and take their rightful place as the people of God in God's place, experiencing God's presence, just like they have in the past that everything that they've experienced in the past is indicating what they will experience in the future. And yet there is so much more in store for them than they could ever know. And it's understandable that that's the assumption, right? Because we just studied the book of Nehemiah. God brought them back to Jerusalem. God helped them rebuild the walls. God met with them in the temple after they, they arrived. Right? There, there was interaction. There was relationship that had to happen as the people returned to God. And yet, here's something that's completely different. That their expectations will be completely blown out of the water. Have you been there? Have you been so focused on your current circumstances that you lose sight of how much more God has for you? I always like the illustration of, you know, if if I'm just content sitting in a mud puddle, if if I think me sitting in a mud puddle on a rainy day is that's the best that my life is gonna be. And all of a sudden I see next to me there's a larger, slightly more clean mud puddle next to me. That's amazing. And I and I go get that, and, and that's all I'm looking for. And yet God has a perfectly clean Olympic sized swimming pool available for me that I just haven't even thought to ask for yet. That's, that's the blessing that God has for us is there, there are things beyond what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Those those are the blessings that God has for us. And I think that's where the Jewish people are at is is that it was a blessing beyond anything they could ever ask, think, or imagine that there would be salvation, not just in their immediate circumstance, but salvation for all of eternity. All of the Old Testament is one big example of how God's people are constantly demonstrating their inability to maintain this relationship with God on their own. And yet it's also a demonstration of how in the midst of that, God still meets them where they're at. The Garden of Eden, God sets up a relationship between Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin and step away from that relationship. And yet God doesn't say, well, you're done. He meets them where they're at. We see the people of Israel that are getting rescued out of Egypt. They choose to turn away from God while they're in the wilderness. And God doesn't say, well, you're done. He meets them where they're at. And over and over and over and over again, God comes back to the people of God in spite of their rejection, in spite of their disobedience. And here we now have Jesus coming to proclaim that there is good news. A new gospel that the kingdom of heaven has come and that this particular struggle of constantly falling away and constantly having to be brought back, that that constant particular struggle is now resolved. Going forward, God's people can experience God's rule in God's place, not through anything they have done, but through what Jesus is going to do. And that now God's place isn't some uh, geographic location, God's place is now in their hearts. The second portion of the message that Jesus brings is that they're to repent and believe in the gospel. Did you know that the gospel doesn't mean good advice? It means good news. I think we can probably pretty safely say that every religion in the world for the most part gives good advice to some extent right yeah you you shouldn't do this thing because then this will happen you should probably do this thing because this will happen christianity isn't about what you need to do that's advice it's about what jesus has done that's news A declaration that Jesus has invaded the kingdom of my heart and is sitting on the throne because I have invited him to take up residence there. That is good news. And because of that, the the good advice comes from that. The the fact that the news of Christ winning (laughs) informs the, the actions of my life. I don't have to earn my way to God through good advice. Jesus has already done that. In Mark 1, we have a nobody carpenter in a nowhere city talking to nobodies, telling them to repent and turn from what they're doing and to follow a new radical life that he is going to show them, and they do it. where we would think that in in order to, for this movement to have any legs at all for there to be any success in this the the movers and the shakers the decision makers the the big and the powerful people those are the people that should be at this meeting at this kickoff of a 3 year ministry by the way that's what they tell you to do when you're a church planner you know that I mean, and it makes sense, right? From a, a person's uh, standpoint, if you're going into a city and you want to have an impact in a city, you want to reach and, and get the people that have the most reach and the most impact on your team. But Jesus went and got 12 fishermen. Well, fishermen and a bunch of other people. He started with fishermen, <laughs> That's, that's not the way we would do it. Jesus goes a different direction. In verses 16 through 17, it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men, right? That's the, the translation we know. Jesus' method to bring about God's kingdom Began with gathering the ordinary. This is a, a fun exercise. In Scripture, over and over and over, we see God using the ordinary, God using the broken, God using the unlikely. And if we just look through Scripture, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is just a very interesting list. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied. Leah was not pretty to look at. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson, depending on how you feel about long hair, but he was also a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. It's weird. Uh, Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while they were praying. Martha worried about everything and probably had some anxiety issues. So the Samaritan woman was divorced a bunch of times. Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, Lazarus was dead. I mean, those are, those are not the people that you pick to do things. In fact, that's almost like the list of, of features that you try to leave off of your list. Like if I'm picking a team, none of that is like, yeah, let's, let's bring that one in. And then as you start hearing that list, maybe you start thinking to yourself, well, I'm really not that bad off. (laughs) I'm doing pretty good, actually. Well, let's be careful. Uh, So God has a purpose for your life. And did you know those things that we just talked about don't disqualify you from participating in the plans of God? God has a purpose for our lives just like the the life and the purpose and the calling that he's placing in Mark one with these specific disciples, instead of students selecting their desired teacher, which is you know if you've been in a Bible study, we kind of hear that that that's normally the way it happened, right? The the teacher, the disciples would go and say, "Oh, I want to learn from this guy, so I need to kind of put in my application, and he'll kind of review my life and say, eh, maybe you need to deal with that thing first, and then then come see me." Instead of that being the process, Jesus approaches his disciples first and says, hey, I want to be in relationship with you. Stop doing what you're doing. Come away from that and follow me instead. So a small morning, Monday morning project for you. Go into any random business. Maybe go into like Ace Hardware or like go into some office space or construction site or whatever. Um, Find people in their workspace and say, hey, stop doing everything you're doing and follow me and we're going to become construction workers for Jesus. That seems a little awkward. That seems like that interaction would be a little awkward. And, you know, if we're, we're honest, the, the approach of Jesus seems maybe a little weird and shocking. That Jesus walks up to these people, maybe he's met them before. Maybe they know who he is, but probably not well enough to say, hey, stop everything that you're doing, leave everything that you know, and come follow me. Interesting question. If you were God, would you have called you? What if when Peter received that call from Jesus, if he received that that invitation from Jesus, he said, you know, let me pray about it for a little bit. And you know the, the let me pray about it comeback that I'm talking about, right? Not, not the one where I actually pray. It's the one where I, I need to like get enough distance between myself and you so that I can then use God as an excuse to not do the thing that that you're actually inviting me to do. That, pray about it. Maybe you guys don't do that. But um, Jesus repurposed fishermen in order to bring salvation to the world. Interesting question. Also, do fish like being caught? <laughs> I saw dad. Dad uh, just came back from a trip out to Idaho, and my cousin took him out fishing. It was, looks like a, a beautiful spot. And he was trying to reel in a fish. And I don't. Did you know Davis was filming you when he did that? Okay. <laughs> so dad was was reeling in the the fish that he, he had on the line and. Unfortunately, just as he was about to bring it in, it it, uh, slipped the hook and away it went back into the river. So I think just from that single example, we can probably say that most of the time, fish do not want to be caught. This isn't some romantic, easy process of, come with me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's not clean It's not always going to be orderly. The people that we will be interacting with are messy. It's the disciples' job to catch them, and you probably heard this, it's God's job to clean them. Right? So verse 18 it says, At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay he called them and they left their father's ebony in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There's an important aspect of discipleship that we kind of start understanding, that we start learning when we watch these types of interactions. Discipleship isn't getting Jesus to help you with your agenda. But aligning your entire life to submit to his. You know, it, it wouldn't really have worked if John or Paul or or excuse me, John or Peter would have come back and said, Well, why don't you come help us with these fish first and then we'll 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 talk about whether or not we're gonna follow you. The the common approach that that we see, especially in the West, is my stuff is broken. I need you to come fix it, God. That that represents a majority of the prayer that, that gets prayed is my stuff is broke and I need you to come fix it. Whether the, my stuff is my relationships, whether it my, if my stuff is my actual physical. Th- Things, maybe it's my health. My stuff is broke and I need you to come fix it, please. But Jesus isn't a means to an end. He's not the repair guy, He is the end. I surrender all that I have to follow you instead. I'm setting aside my stuff and instead I'm picking up your stuff. The only reason that there it makes any sense for these people to stop doing what they're doing and go follow Jesus is if Jesus has the authority to bring that interruption about. Jesus didn't make an appointment. He showed up when it was time. He called the men to do something great. And there was a cost. And that cost was what they were already doing. And, you know, it seems reasonable to assume, especially if we look at that second invitation, business was probably good. They were repairing nets, and so you, you don't usually have to repair nets if you haven't been catching fish. So they they've repairing nets. They've got hired servants on the boat. Things seem like it's going well. And yet Jesus is saying, leave that. Leave what you know. Leave what has been successful in the past and come with me. Let's think back to the, the prayers that we normally bring. Fix my job. God help help me to be prosperous. Help me to, to be successful in the workplace. Help me to have good relationships with people in the workplace fix my family God help help my uh, disagreement with this family member to be resolved help this relationship to be taken care of help help these things to to be addressed help that person not to act that way anymore right what, whatever that prayer is fix my family or my relationships and then make my life easier you see man, I never prayed that what are you talking about uh Make my life easier. Take away this difficulty, this hardship, this, this thing that's in my life. And, and let's pause for a minute. Did you know it's okay to pray those things? But if our response to Christ is I'll follow you once this stuff gets taken care of, how does that fit with the fact that Jesus is calling these disciples away from all of those things? Not fix my job, come away from your job and focus on what I have. Yeah, but, but my family's here. I'm calling you away from your family into something else. I'm calling you away from the relationships that you know into something else. Yeah, But but make my life easier. I'm taking you away from the, the successful business that you've worked in where you have servants that are waiting on you. I'm taking you away from those things into a life of hardship, a life of persecution, a life uh, where you are very likely going to be killed for the sake of what it is that I'm calling you to, but it is so worth it. That is what Jesus is calling us to, away from those things into something more. And so the question for us this morning is, do you believe that the gospel message, the good news, not the good advice, the good news that Christ has come is worth it? And if you are saying this morning, yes, I believe it is worth it, then what in your life reflects that that is worth it? What, what is it in your life that reflects the discipleship that, that that acknowledgement requires? And that's not a question that I can answer. That's a question that we all have to look at our own lives and say, this is, this is the, the case for me. How are you trying to bring about, what are you doing to, to allow God to have control of your life? What are you doing to give up control of your life and your career with your relationships with your comforts what are we doing to give those things up it's like well matt am i supposed to just completely abandon my my wife and my kids like what how does that no that's that's not what it works but it means that i trust god with my wife and my kids knowing that he has them in such better hands than i could ever God, is, does that mean that I need to step away from the job that I used to, to provide for my family? No, it means that I sacrifice my, my job on the altar every single day that I show up to it so that it's not me that's there, it's God that's there. How much better would that workplace be if when your, your, work, uh, your work peers, your coworkers looked at you they saw Jesus instead? How life-changing could that be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've said week after week to this point, we want to know you. We want to know who you are. We want to know everything about you. We want to know you more. God, I want my life to be a reflection of who you are. In the areas where that isn't the case, Lord, we give those things up to you. We lay them down, we sacrifice them, and instead we we take up who you are. God, we give up our, our careers, we we lift up our families, Lord. We we offer up the those points of comfort that exist in our life, and instead say, God, take them, they're yours. shape us into who you would have us be. God, as we look at our lives, it is so easy to pinpoint those areas of failure. Those areas where we have have made mistakes, where we've made bad choices, where we have sinned, and yet, God, none of that disqualifies us. God, we thank you that in spite of our weakness, in spite of of our brokenness, God, you are strong. Lord, as we go from this place today, Lord, don't let us leave here the same. Don't let us leave here without being changed and shaped by you.